Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business, and I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg Press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify Black Letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. Hi, this is Tom Dunlap. Welcome back to another episode of the Black Letter Podcast. Today with me, two special guests. I have Jen Logis, the co-founder of One Degree Capital in Tyson's Corner. They're an advisory firm that specializes in strategic banking guidance to small and mid-sized businesses. Jen has more than 20 years of experience in banking and lending, and her clients include everything from local restaurant change to high-tech firms and government contractors. Also with me today is Sherilyn Laban, a partner at Dunlap, Bennett, and Ludwig. She is an attorney who covers areas such as business, government contracts, and nonprofits. Her clients benefit from more than 20 years of experience in Washington, D.C. and abroad, including time as essentially the director of half of the SBA, you know, a very high-ranking official at the Small Business Administration, the Department of Veterans Affairs, and as an advisor to members of Congress and presidential candidates. And particularly relevant for both of my guests, we're talking about, of course, COVID-19. But in particular, the SBA has just issued new loan forgiveness guidelines and how to apply for it and a fantastically interesting form. And we'll say interesting because there's a lot of questions about the guidance the SBA has issued still out there. And so here to help us with some advice about those questions that are still out there, and there's some holes that we probably can't even answer today, but to talk about what those are. So let's start, Jen, Sherilyn, whichever of you want want to take this question, what can you tell us about the new loan forgiveness form and the guidance the SBA has issued? First of all, thanks for, for having me here. This is great. I think these types of forums are great opportunities to get really be able to process what information is out there for businesses. There is so much noise going on right now that it can be really difficult for businesses to know what do they need to focus on and what's most important and relevant to them. This, I think, are perfect opportunities and, and ways to do that. So thank you for, for doing this. Of course. As far as this form goes, it's 11 pages long. There's at a, at a quick count, there's about 40 different fields um, outside of your your business name and, and all of that. There's about 40 different calculation fields that you need to fill in um, and several pages of definitions. Probably the first thing that I would say is the SBA probably had a reason for releasing this close to five o'clock on a Friday afternoon to give everyone a chance to absorb it and have a few days to absorb it before Monday morning hit. <laughs> So, so to be cynical, they didn't want anyone calling them as soon as it came out. <laughs> as far as our company goes, we typically operate on the thing of never deliver bad news on a Friday. That's something I love for the government to start to follow as well. It's not going to happen. But anyway, so we, we got it and everybody absorbed it, scratched their heads on it. I will say this. The biggest thing that I've, that I've heard is in feedback that I'm hearing from, you know, the, on the small business committees in, in Congress is really look for the the change. And if we think back, you know, way back to six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, when when all this was first starting, when the first payroll protection, when the CARES Act was passed, 
as things started to come out and evolve, they kept changing. And so the one thing I would say about this form, biggest message that I have for every business owner listening is don't take this sitting down. This form is, it is complicated. There are a lot of calculations. Some of it, I think, strays too far away from the CARES Act, from the original intent. And I think the only way for Congress to know that and to affect change is for us as business owners to contact our senators and in particular our senators and let them know how this affects your business. That's, that's the only way that we're going to be able to affect change with this. Is there an easy place for businesses to go to say, A, obviously they can go on the internet and find how to contact their senator, but B, what issues they have with the form? Maybe they don't know what they don't know. I know there's a question of what is the tax treatment of loan forgives? Are certain things included or not included, like negotiated, renegotiated leases, things like that? But what is it that they should be saying to their senators? Are there hot issues you could share with us that you think, look, these are the problems that we as businesses should stand up to or for? So, Jen, I just want to give a top line, and I know you want to get into specifics, but I think, Tom, part of the problem here is that this has been such a very complicated process for small businesses who are just really trying to keep their employees employed and run their business. And so when you see an 11-page form with 40 different fields to fill out, like this is, I'm spending more time filling out this form than doing what I really want to do, which is try to figure out how to turn the lights back on in my business. Right. Right. So I think that's the sort of the top line goal is let's try and simplify things for small businesses so they can focus on what they want to do. Try to turn the lights back on, keep their employees employed, and really try to function in this post-COVID world. Yeah, I, I agree, Sherilyn. I think one of the biggest things being um, attacked right now, if for, for lack of a better term, um, or highly scrutinized, would be the eight-week covered period. Okay. That's a big hot-button issue. The interesting thing that, that I'm seeing is they're starting to chip away at the eight-week period. When it first came out, it was it started, and there was no wiggle room for this. It started the day you received your funds. Wow. Okay. Was day one of that eight-week period. Well, in reality, we all have different payroll cycles. So that was one thing that was affecting us all. But the other big piece of it was several businesses were closing on their payroll protection loans before their business was actually open. And one of the things that's required in the intention of this is to bring people back onto payroll. Well, there's nothing for them to come back to if the business is closed. Where this is starting to play out is we're starting to hear from Congress of they may want to adjust that eight-week period for restaurants. Stop and think about that for a minute. Who has a pretty good-sized lobby and that would be the restaurant industry? Right. Um, the rest of us don't. Many of us who have businesses do not have those large lobbies that can go and speak right. to Congress on our behalf. And that's that's one of the reasons that I say, you know, take these things and talk to your congressman about them and try and get those things changed. And I think also, too, in practice, Jen, what we would have loved to have seen is that there was a little bit, as you're saying, flexibility on when the clock started ticking, because initially, obviously, employees were home because that's what governors told them to do. In reality, it was really just sort of inconsistent. Right. This bill was inconsistent with what was happening in reality in life for many small businesses. Right? They had their employees home. Their employees were not at the office. So in a perfect world, 
could have moved that start period a good four to even eight weeks later. So let's just get into the nitty gritty then. I'll couple like rapid fire questions for you, Jen. So that period right now, as you just said, starts on a calendar date from the date they received the money and then essentially 56 days forward. How do they calculate payroll for that period? How does that jive with those 56 days? They're actually in this new form, given some options on that. So it is one of the rare glimpses of little wiggle room (laughs) in this. So what they're looking at is the way that the forgiveness application is worded. It does appear that they have a bit of a choice of using what you're actually paying for your payroll during that period, but you could also include some of your accrued expenses. So if, if during that eight week period, say for example, you're coming up on the end of the eight week and you have payroll that's accrued as an expense during that time period, but your actual payout isn't going to be for another week or so after your eight-week period ends, it does appear that they are allowing you to calculate that still in. So it appears with this, they're recognizing some of the accrual challenges where in the original forms, when they were talking about forgiveness and how this is going to be done, it, they almost seem to only be talking on a cash basis. Gotcha. So there is, there is that glimpse of flexibility in this form. Jen, uh, how are they counting employees for purposes of payroll? (laughs) Look for that to change as well. Okay. Differently than they have been before. So before, when you were calculating for the purposes of obtaining the loan, they were looking at your your head count and they were taking just a hard head count. So whether your person was full-time or part-time, they were calculating that originally, they were calculated as a head count. If you had two part-time people and one full-time person, you had three people. Right. So they weren't doing an FTE calculation. They doing at FTEs. All. Gotcha. So now you flash forward to this and it looks like you're being given a choice. So you are able to do either FTEs mm-hmm. or headcount. And this does, they don't appear to be tying you to having to use in certain circumstances, one or the other. It does appear that you're being given a choice. So this is one of those decision points where it pays to have somebody working with you on the strategy of this to figure out which of those is more beneficial to your business. Calculate it both ways, right? Yeah, especially in an instance, if if you've had a headcount change, then you really want to look at calculating it both ways to see if if you're still able to make it work without using the full-time equivalent versus the actual headcount. So Jen, so there's two wiggle room points then that you've discovered. One is headcount and then one how the payroll is being calculated. What about other expenses? So some of the other expenses that I know there are some ambiguities, like if you've renegotiated a lease during the CARES Act, and so you have some forgiveness, or say you had expenses associated with your business being closed that were unique. Are are those things included in this? For right now, they're, at least for right now, they're still looking at actual expenses. Okay. They are, however, putting in some interesting wording in here that they're adding the lease costs for leased property that you have that's also includes personal property. If you have a leased vehicle, if you have other leased equipment that you have, copiers, that that type of thing, that those interest on those expenses is able to be covered. That's this is great. also the first time that we've seen utilities spelled out. So it does specifically allow for things like your telephone expense to be added in there. And that's been a big question that business owners have had too of what, you know, is, does the cell phone bill for everyone count as a utility? So we're, we're getting a little bit more clarity on that too. Okay. So big points there then. So utilities are included, possibly cell phone bills, copier leases, personal vehicle leases. 
that's another, not wiggle room, but a good thing. Sherilyn, just, just to ask you, what if a company doesn't want to apply for forgiveness? And, and I guess my question is, why would you not want to apply? That'd be my first question. But my second question then is, if there is a reason you don't want to, what's, what's the circumstance? What's the standard? That's a very good question, Tom, because actually here at DBL, we get that question often. And when a client comes to me and says, well, I don't want to apply for forgiveness, the first thing I say to them, well, why wouldn't you want to apply for forgiveness? That's my question. Because if you are, in fact, adhering to the legislative intent of the bill, then you would want to apply for forgiveness because then we know that you are using the money as it is intended for payroll expenses. How I guide clients is I say to them, well, let's continue on the path of keeping proper records so that you can in fact apply for forgiveness. And if the guidance changes, and we know that it might, right, shift a little bit, if the guidance changes, either way, whether you apply for forgiveness or not, you have the proper records and paper in place. But I think it's very important to continue to remind clients and small businesses that you really need to use that money for as it is intended. Okay. And that is to make sure that you are using it on payroll expenses, Tom. So that ties in then, Sherilyn, to the question of what about the certifications the form requires? So it requires, and I've had questions from clients about this, that they have to certify certain things and are not sure whether or not they can certify some of the things, and some of them have been really sort of ambiguous, even, even when I've looked at them, I've had to go to you. For <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about that. The latest guidance that came out on Friday, Tom, really gave a lot of small business owners a sigh of relief because they basically stated that if you're under $2 million, right, if your loan was under $2 million, essentially we're going to give you a pass. However, oh. I caution businesses Let's not get too comfortable. That doesn't mean you won't be audited. It doesn't mean you still don't have to adhere to the rules. So you still need to show that you, in fact, needed that loan. And I encourage everyone to keep as great of records as you possibly can. For example, if, for example, you were expecting a $1.4 million sales contract and you didn't get that, let's see in writing or an email that showed you were relying on that $1.4 million contract and you didn't get it because that also went into reasons why you would have applied for a PPP loan because you knew that you weren't getting as much money in that you thought you were going to get. So again, all of these details and documentations that business owners can show why they felt they needed that loan and to show why they felt that they were in a bit of a financial crisis. Gotcha. Understand. And so how can companies now, you said documenting everything. I assume it, doing it now doesn't help. You have to kind of document what you did at right. the time you applied for the right. loan. First thing is you want to document again, why you felt you needed the loan. And then number two, the whole record keeping with the forgiveness and the PPP loan is so crucial. I encourage clients and business owners to really have that that good relationship with their accountant, make sure that their accountant is up on the latest rules on forgiveness and PPP, because you're really going to be working hand in glove with them to make sure 
that your records are in the best of possible order. Number one, for forgiveness. And number two, in the event that they are possibly audited, you want to make sure that you have been doing the proper documentation. Okay. So a couple other questions, if I could, and I don't know which of you, maybe Jen, this is for you. The SBA reduce how much of the loan they forgive. If they don't forgive the whole thing, and maybe Sherilyn's true, can you, is there a legal recourse? Is there an administrative appeal, something like that? Can it be reduced? Yes. So, so if you don't meet the threshold requirements, it can be reduced. Your forgiveness amount can be reduced by certain amounts. So they've said that all along. As far as an appeals process, yes, I'd definitely throw that to Sherilyn. The best way to answer this is, you know, I always advise people that whenever you are accepting government money, there's strings attached. And that goes with government contractors. Everybody is, you know, any type of SBA loans is truthful and and it, as much as you can hear to the rules, that is what you want to do because anything less than that is what the SBA considers fraud. And you don't want SBA coming after you for fraud. I really advise people to be as, as honest and just as, as rigid as you can be with that proper record keeping because it really helps you to avoid so many problems in the future, Tom. Okay. What about deducting expenses? So normally you would deduct utility expenses and things like that. But what if you get a loan for those things and then that loan is forgiven, can you still deduct the expenses on your tax return? And I've heard that, I know that technically, no, probably not. And the IRS is saying that. But I've heard that there's talk in Congress or amongst certain people that those expenses should still be deductible. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I know it's not settled. It's not settled. That is one of the things that, you know, hold, hold Congress's feet to the fire on that. That does need to be addressed in there. Um, they've got, you know, really they can go through the end at any point through the end of this year and, and fix that. Well, I mean, to me, guys, it seems crazy that you would get all this benefit. Your business is hurting. Your business is hurting. We're going to give you loan relief and SBA loan relief. But you know what? We're going to tax you on all those expenses now. Right. It seems like common sense that they've got to fix that. There's so much discussion, Tom, about this next round of relief and what that looks like. And I think that's these are the types of discussions they're having with all of the smart minds in Congress and the White House and SBA. Right. Because they're hearing from small business owners that this is just, it's counterintuitive, really. Right? Yeah. And I guess the other thing I was thinking about, what about state and local taxing authorities? Obviously, the federal government can have the IRS do what the federal government wants the IRS to do. The SBA and the IRS are all part of the executive. But every single state, as we know, doesn't always agree with the federal government. What's their tax treatment of this going to be? Is there any talk of that? Or does anyone have any sense of how that's going to be handled? Because that's a a pretty big question too, I think. I think the reality of things is for right now, the the state and local governments are so focused on the reopening. They just have everything focused on that. That I I don't think, to be truthful, I don't think this is on their radar. Neither do I, Um, Jen. Neither do I. but maybe not yet. <laughs> and I also right. noticed, guys, that the form says in the top right corner, it says expiration date 10-31-2020. Does that mean that the form expires or do you have to apply by a certain date for the forgiveness? That is just like an administrative date that they have, okay. Tom. It's just, yeah, it's not a date meant for anything regarding the PPP loan. It's just an administrative date that the agency stamps on their forms. Gotcha. Okay. What are the two most important things each of you think that anybody watching this podcast should remember? And maybe we'll flash them up and highlight 
on our intro slide to this, but what are those, what are those four things? Two, two from each of you, if I can limit you to that. Document everything. Okay. Would, would be absolute number one. And, and Sherilyn has talked about this as well. You, you just, whatever decisions you're making, document your decisions. Um, be like you're back in, you know, grade school math, show your work. Gotcha. Definitely. That would be, that would be not my number one. My number two, I actually would say for right now, for business owners, don't panic. I think that's, that's probably my second, my second biggest thing is yes, this is a lot. This is a lot of work that, that just got thrown out. There's a lot of things I think that are going to change with this. I, I would look for that to change and don't take this as the be all end all right now. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It, it does seem like the entire process has been an evolving process from from the issuance of the loans and the program and the passage of the CARES Act to now the forgiveness, it's all happening so quickly. And if anything, you know, our government is probably not known for quickness and efficiency. Not a dig on the government, just it is how it is, right? I, there are other countries that are, that are right. much harder up. And I always tell my kids that we're, we're probably one of the best ones you could have, but it's still a challenge. Right. So Sherilyn, what about you? What are your two things? And if you want you can use the same ones, but if you have two others, we can, we can probably pull it out for. Jen stole my thunder, but first of all, document, document, and document. And then number two, I tell clients, you know, this is a temporary situation and that we're here to guide you through this. I know that the information is confusing, fluid, very frustrating, but we're here to help you get through it. And just know that what you see today may not be there tomorrow as much as we can go with it and just know in the back of your mind, this is temporary fluid and know that changes are coming. So the three I have now are number one document, number two, don't panic. And number three, the situation is fluid. Is that, are we, are we good with three or do we have a fourth? The fourth thing that I would say is keep your eye on your business plan. Don't rush to change things to adapt to these short-term issues. These are short-term issues as Charlene. We will get through this. We've had clients contacting us who now want to change. They have 1099 contractors and now they want them all to be W2. That's a significant change to your business model. I think it's that keep your eye on the ball. Um, and as Charlene, you're just kind of dovetailing on what Sherilyn said. So, so just a random comment for you guys, and only because I'm doing this, this webinar later today, but Virginia has a new law that goes into effect July 1, where every person that works for you is presumed to be a W-2, and you have to have proof that they're not. And that's a new law, and it creates a private right of action for them to sue you if you've, mis- if you've treated them as 1099s when they should have been W-2 with attorney's fees and treble damages. So <laughs> maybe, I mean, yeah, don't change how you do business, but I just saw that law publish, and it goes into effect July 1, and it's a little scary. It is. Um, because a lot of our clients, government contractors in particular, have a lot of 1099 SMEs and, and things like exactly. that, that, you know, uh, we have to think hard about this. And you know, and I find it interesting, Tom, that they would pass this type of law during, in, in the middle of all right. of this going on. And you just kind of wonder, you know, can we just not throw so many complicated things? Monkey wrench. Right. Yeah. At businesses all at once, right? So there is good news. In the same legislative session, the entire Virginia 
assembly and the governor agreed to defer the minimum wage increase to May of next year. And that was supposed to go into effect from 725 to 950 on July 1. But they're deferring that a year because of COVID. Right. So, I mean, I guess that's a tempering because a lot of businesses like restaurants that rely on that minimum wage, suddenly we've got to pay everybody 25% or 33% more. That's a little bit of a, a at least a, it was scheduled and now it's not. So. Right. A little, little fairness and balancing, but this new law is interesting. So we'll see what happens there. Well, well thank you guys both thank very you. much for joining us today. Really, really informationally useful episode of the Black Letter Podcast. And we will put this up on the website. I want to thank everyone who's watching and who's listening. Download the Black Letter Podcast from wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes Store or the Google Play Store or Spotify or whatever you like to listen to. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Black Letter Podcast. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play so you never miss an episode. And to catch us on video, check out our website at blackletterstudios.com.